This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. Well, please open your Bible to Romans chapter 8. This is the third week of our series that we're calling the best chapter in the Bible. Before we read these great verses together, would you join me in a word of prayer? God, you are most worthy to be praised. You've taken us from being dead in our flesh to making us alive through the Spirit. For we are in Christ Jesus and there is no condemnation there. I pray now that you would help me to deliver these thoughts that I believe you've given me to the people of our church scattered in their homes. I pray that you will give us a unity of spirit as well as a oneness as we receive these things together. We sit in separate buildings, uh, but we can still be of one heart and one accord through the Spirit. And so God, do that work in us now, we pray. May we elevate and glorify the truth of the gospel. Amen. Well, in Romans chapter 8, we'll be in verses 5 through 8. A few more verses than we've been doing the past couple of weeks. So listen as I read Romans 8, 5 to 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. These are serious words. And so let's dig in, study them well together. Romans 8 is all about the Holy Spirit. The first week of this series, I said that Romans 8 mentions the Spirit more times than any other chapter in the New Testament. But Romans 8 doesn't just lay out some kind of a theology of God the Spirit as if it's a list of qualities or characteristics of the Spirit. It gives more than that. It doesn't just tell us that he's a member of the Trinity, he's fully God, eternal, and and everything else. Romans 8 is about the work of the Spirit, the actions and the activities and the transformation in our lives of the Holy Spirit. The great thing and the hard thing about reading this chapter is actually the same When you read the most detailed description of the Spirit's work and what life in the Spirit looks like, you run out of places to hide. It's both good, but it's hard. The reason you can't hide is because all your options get stripped away And there are no more games to play when we get this kind of level of detail about what spiritual life looks like. People play games. People try to hide. Now, have you ever known someone whose personality seems to change depending on who they're around or where they are? Maybe you do that. 
It's common, unfortunately, all too common in Christian circles. We think we have many options. You can be a Christian, but not a Christian, you know, where you get really crazy with it. You're just sort of a reserved Christian. You can be one way around the church and another way around the home. Still another way around the office. You can be the answer guy in your small group, but there is almost no such thing as private worship when nobody else is watching. We play games. We shapeshift. We can be kind of spiritual chameleons. And sometimes we even think that that's okay. But Romans 8 is good, and Romans 8 is hard, because it shows us that we don't have many options. We really only have two options. All people, you, me, Everyone you know, we are all in one of two places. Back in verses 3 and 4, Paul says you are either in the flesh or you are in the spirit. Under the flesh, the law of sin and death, or under the law of life and the spirit. Verses 1 and 2, at the beginning of the chapter, Paul says that you're either in Christ or you're under the old law. These are the same things, the flesh and the spirit, in Christ or under the law. If you're under the law, you are condemned in the flesh, and you're dead. If you're in Christ, there's no more condemnation for you, and you are alive in the spirit by grace. So here we come to verses 5 through 8, where Paul tells us more about death in the flesh and life in the Spirit. Uh, A few years ago, a mentor of mine started talking to me about my mindset. Uh, A researcher, psychologist from Stanford named Carol Dweck, teaches about the limitations of what she called, and many other people have adapted to, to be called, a fixed mentality, and then the possibility of a growth mindset. A fixed mentality versus a growth mindset. Now, here's a really basic example. You have a fixed mindset. If you fail at something, conclude you therefore are a failure and you're afraid to try again because you're pretty sure nothing is going to change. That's a fixed mindset. And what Dweck has found is people with fixed mentalities are almost universally less likable and less successful. On the other hand, is growth mindset. Now, a really basic understanding of growth mentality says that same circumstance, you fail at something, that's not a reason not to try ever again, but a growth mindset says, I failed at something, that's a really great opportunity to be confronted with my limitations, identify something I can learn, and then I can try it again later, with a greater possibility of success. Now, few people are ever always one way or the other. There is a spectrum. But overwhelmingly, the goal is to have a growth mindset. 
They've even begun to distill this down into school curriculums. When my oldest daughter was in second grade, she came home from the first week of school with all this growth mindset stuff. Her classroom, when you would go visit it, had all these growth mindset slogans all over the walls. They wanted the second graders to recognize that failure wasn't a reason to quit, that it was an opportunity to grow. Now, even better and more important than having a growth mindset is having a spiritual mindset, a mindset for spiritual growth. Unpacking more of life, or really death in the flesh and life in the spirit, what Paul does is he says that Christians will have a spiritual mindset. The difference with a spiritual mindset and a mindset on the flesh is there is no spectrum. Every person is either set in the flesh or they are set on the spirit. People set on the flesh are fixated on something that will only lead to death. And in the end, people with a spiritual mentality have, every, have been given everything that we need for life and peace, and everlasting joy. And the good news is that anybody can have, can be given a spiritual mindset. Spiritual mindedness is not something reserved for the ultra-spiritual or the uber-religious. In fact, it's often the uber-religious who have the hardest time with the flesh versus the spirit because the flesh likes to perform and be rewarded. The spirit says you can't perform, but you're going to be rewarded anyways. That's why the uber-religious have a really hard time with this. They just can't wrap their minds around failure, lack of performance, yet blessing and grace anyways. It makes religious people really mad. Now, the counterintuitive way that the Spirit works in Christians is on full display here in 5 through 8. Because of the difference between a mindset in the flesh and a spiritual mindset, you may assume that what we're going to be told in these verses, in this chapter, is to have a more spiritual mindset. Just be more spiritually minded. But that is not what Paul says. There are no commands. <coughs> there are no commands in Romans 8. He doesn't say, work on your spiritual mindset or make sure to set your mind on the Spirit. Now, that, that's implied a little bit. But what he actually says is that a Christian's mind will already, by grace as a gift, it will already be set on the Spirit. And so this is not about commands. It's about assurance and encouragement. And it is about acknowledging our complete inability to bring anything besides our sin to the salvation plan of God. And what I find so hard about Romans 8 and places like this in the Bible is that I want directives. I want to be told what to do. What are the action steps? Uh, I even want commands. Because commands... I can do. People say 
They don't want a bossy God. The irony is that people who say they don't want a bossy God make up and invent a bossy God for themselves all the time. The reason we like, actually, a God that we think gives commands is because we still get to participate in that. Oftentimes, the God of people's imaginations, the God that they think they're following the commands of, really aligns with the commands that they think are important and ignores the ones that they dislike. People like to invent something that they can succeed at. If they can play a game if they can make up a spirituality that they're already good at, that they can easily succeed at, then they feel like they've done what they're supposed to do. It's harder, much harder, to say that we, are, that, that, that we don't have commands, but we're given a spirit inside of us, and out of that spirit, from that spirit, we joyfully obey and walk in the good works and the good ways that God has prepared for us. We would rather decide if we choose to obey or not. But spiritual life is entirely the work of God. And the reason that's so hard for us is that on our own, we will never understand it. We'll never understand spiritual life all on our own. And when we come to understand it, it shows us really how powerless we are to do anything about it. So Romans 8 is all about the ever-abounding grace of God. Let's read. I'm just going to do a few verses here, kind of dig into these things, so follow along with me in your Bible. Start in verse 5 again. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Now let's stop there. When Paul says the flesh, he doesn't mean, you know, your skin or your muscles or your, your organs. He means your natural self. And you will not like what he says about the natural self. Only the spiritual person can find any encouragement in this at all. Verse 7. Look at verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're in the flesh and you are not a spiritual person, if you've not been born of the Spirit, that would be very offensive to you. And to understand this, we need to know what Paul means by setting our minds on something. What does he mean to set my mind on something? Again, like the flesh, he doesn't mean it's the, just limited to the neural processes of our brain when he says your mind. His definition of mindset is to ask, what drives you? What are you oriented towards? What are you living for? What is it that captures your imagination and your longings? What are you after? This is another place where you really only have two options. Either you are focused on the things of the flesh, which are the things valued in this world, success, wealth, power, frame, fame, esteem. Either you're focused on those things or you are focused on the things of the Spirit, life with God holiness, humility, growing in grace and love. You cannot have both. Now listen to this. You cannot have both, but for a time, both will be present in your life. The question is, which one is going to be uppermost in your mindset? 
So make sure you, you hear this next part because it, it makes a big difference in understanding this. There are a lot of confused people walking around churches uh, and I, and I want to help bring clarity to this. I, I regularly talk to people who are struggling to see where their mind is set. They're having a hard time finding that. And I actually find it's most often true that people assume they are in the opposite position from where they really are. We are prone, naturally, to think that our spirituality comes from obedience, and therefore when we mess up, we think we're in the flesh. But this is not about performance. This is about position. It's not about what you do. It's about who you've been made and called out to be. So every person still has the deeds of the flesh at work inside of them. In chapter 7, Paul said that despite his new life in Christ, he still sometimes did things that he didn't want to do. Now that's not an excuse, it's just a reality. Where I find people confused is that some people are, are so dismayed by their ongoing struggle with the flesh that they conclude that they can't possibly be in the Spirit. They say, I have too many things that I'm working on. I can't possibly be a spiritual person. And then there's other people on the other side of the spectrum. They're not looking for the Spirit to do the work. They're trying to, to mimic what they think the work of the Spirit might look a little bit like. But really what they're doing is just trying to do that in the flesh. And you can see the difference of somebody trying to mimic the Spirit, but being in the flesh, because they're doing their work, but they're not doing it in such a way that's where, where they're trusting in grace and where they're growing in love. They're not growing in grace. And they're becoming harder, not softer. More unloving, not more loving. Folks, people with a spiritual mindset don't always get it right. But when they get it wrong, they're grieved by their sin. They're humbled through it. And they have a heart that rejoices that God has given grace through the death and resurrection of Jesus to them. That's the mark of a spiritual person. It's not somebody who gets it right all the time. It's somebody who's grieved when they get it wrong, are appropriately, not overly, just appropriately humbled through it, and they're grateful that God has given grace evidenced by the Spirit at work inside of them. People in the flesh, on the other hand, are trying really hard. But they won't see that they're not growing in grace. And their obedience is, is usually fairly selective. They're only obedient to some of the external commands of God. But they're not obeying the inner work of the Spirit. You might think of a place like Galatians 5, growing, they're not growing in the fruit of the Spirit. So let's look at, at the second half of verse 5. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Now the things of the Spirit are the things that truly matter. Paul found this out in his own life. He had this whole former life before becoming a Christian where he was educated, respected, and he was on his way to becoming a big deal among the Pharisees. But when he met Jesus, he realized that none of that mattered. Philippians 3, 7-8 says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss 
for the, surpa- for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss based on the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for his sake. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That's what spiritual life is like and that's how you know it when you see it. On your list of priorities and what is valuable is there Christ and then everything else. That's what Paul is saying. For him there is Christ and and then there's everything else. Jesus told two quick parables in Matthew 13. He said the, the kingdom of heaven is like finding a treasure in a field that you've been looking for your whole life. Another one is like a, a merchant who seeks after pearls and finally finds the perfect one. And when you find the treasure, <clears throat> when you find the pearl, you sell everything you have. You buy the field with the treasure, you buy the pearl. You see the value of it. So everything else you used to think was valuable is nothing compared to the treasure. That's what life in the Spirit is like. When God opens your eyes to see the value of life in the Spirit, everything else suddenly becomes less valuable. Now what Paul says in verse 6 is even more startling than that. It's not just that you need to reorder your priorities to have a good life. It's that if you don't, you won't have any life at all. So verse 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Your mindset will either kill you or it will free you. It's either going to kill you or it will free you from death. It will give you life. There's no in-between here. The beauty of what Paul is talking about, is walking us through in Romans 8, is that it's not up to you to have a mindset, to cultivate a mindset, to, to be in the mindset that leads to life and peace. If you are in Christ, God has already done that for you. If you wonder, how am I ever going to have that kind of mindset? Need not, you need not worry anymore. Cease your worry and fear and come to Christ because when you do, God will give you that mindset. He will put his spirit inside of you and the spirit will transform you through the renewing of your mind. You need not, Christian, wonder how you will get a spiritual mindset for God will give it to you. He will give it to you by grace. That's not to say there aren't things that we can do to grow one that is already inside of us. But how do you have this transformation? How do you come to be spiritually reminded? God. God gives it to you. God does grace. God gives an abundance of grace in giving you his spirit. He will change your mindset. Come to him. Come to him and he will change your mindset. So then what, what do we do now for us? What, what do we do? If it's entirely a work of God, then should we do nothing? Do we do nothing now? Well, not quite. We should stop trying to do everything on our own. That's step number one. But we should also do the things that we know 
will nurture in us a spiritual mindset. Just because there's not a command to have one ourselves, and that's, that in itself is a gift of grace, it doesn't mean there aren't things that we can't do to contribute to the renewing of our minds, to nurture within us a mind set on the Spirit. The first thing is, is really to ask yourself, are you a Christian? If your answer is yes, why do you believe that? Do you believe it because one time, long, long time ago, you prayed a, a prayer or you raised your hand or, or you walked forward? That might very well be how you became a Christian or the day on which you trace your life, your Christian life back to that day. But if the only evidence that you're trying to present for your Christianity is something that happened quite a while ago, I would seriously think about whether or not there was true conversion that took place. If you were a Christian, you should have some sense of a spiritual mindset. Remember, it's about position, not performance. What are you after? What brings you joy? What are you driven by? What, are, what kinds of things do, you, do your heart long for? If you long for the things of the Spirit, if you long to please God, if you long to see His glory, if you long to live in His grace, even if you mess up sometimes, you were a Christian. On the other hand, if all you do is want to obey selective commands of God and wish He would just leave you alone in the rest of your life, friend, you need to become a Christian. For Christians have the mind of the Spirit, and the Spirit longs after the things of the Lord, longs to see the kingdom of heaven, and it longs to cultivate and grow a spiritual life. You can't give yourself a mind set on the Spirit. Only God can do that. But it would be overly simplistic to think that once God has given it, He doesn't call us or invite us to nurture a spiritual mindedness. If you don't feel a connection to God, or, or He doesn't feel real to you, I want to ask, what, what are you doing to cultivate a spiritual life? What are your habits? What are your habits for, for daily Bible reading and prayer? How do you feel about your sin? Do you regret it? Do you mourn it? Or are you hard-hearted toward it? Are you too proud to admit that you sin every day, throughout the day, multiple times a day? Verse 8 says that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you are a Christian, you are a spiritual person. Spiritually renewed, spiritually alive, and spiritually saved. But in this life, we will never be rid of the flesh. But are you giving up and giving in too easily? Are you asking God to grow your spiritual mindedness but doing so without actually doing anything that's going to contribute to that growth. Growing in your spiritual mind, and this doesn't happen by you hitting some magic time for morning devotions 
or competing for a, a predetermined number of good works, but a mind set on the Spirit will enjoy time in God's Word, will long to pray with Him and connect with Him, and will delight in doing good works. See that? See that? It's not about doing it to check it off your list. It's about doing it because it is the light of your, delight of your heart, and, and the spiritual person will delight to slow down and rest in the Lord. A mind set on the Spirit drifts toward thoughts of spiritually minded things. A kind of mind enjoys the things of God, delights to dwell with Him. Now, that doesn't happen at all without Him first inviting you to come, but it also won't happen without some intentionality on your part. Set aside time. Make sure your affections are for the things that are precious to God. Where there are things that do not glorify Him. And you know what they are. You know the things that don't glorify God. Ask the Spirit who lives inside of you to give you no more appetite for things that have nothing to do with the glory of God. And ask Him to increase your joy and hunger for the things of God. If you want to know how to cultivate life in the Spirit. First, thank God that He has given it to you. And second, ask Him to grow in you a hunger for Him, for His Word, for the things that He loves, and set them first. Consider everything else to be secondary in comparison to the matchless worth of knowing Christ Jesus your Lord. Let's pray. God, may we be a spiritually minded people. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ who will watch this. I pray that you will give them an assurance today of their salvation through the Holy Spirit that lives inside of them. If they do not have a mind set on the Spirit, would you show that to them? Cause them to call out to you for you are indeed inviting them to come. And God, I pray that they would be saved. I pray that we would grow in grace. I pray earnestly that when our church gets back together, not only would we long to be physically together, but we would long to share the peace of Christ. Long to know the power of his resurrection. Long to encourage one another each day, as long as it's called today. For you're indeed worthy. Thank you for this spiritual community which you have created. May we be a priesthood of believers, a holy nation set apart unto you. Amen. Our Savior Evangelical Free Church is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about what these words mean, visit our website at osefc.org.